you know, a, mil- a million little things. And I think the, the like two big things I would give as pieces of advice to people starting a business are number one, persistence. If you looked at what I was doing in the first several years, um, it was a mess. I know what I was doing. It was ugly. The brand was terrible. The, the idea was terrible. The execution was terrible. But I just kind of never gave up. And every single day I came in and like tried to make something better and learn something and, and do it a little better. And that's the other half of the coin, which is number two, which is Im- improvement. Thank you for tuning in to episode 20 of Highly Invested, where we invest in ourselves, talk about personal growth, investing in business, while we ask entrepreneurs about the best investments in time, money, and energy that they've made that have gotten them to where they are today. Everyone, I'm really excited to have someone that everyone in the personal finance community and the debt-free community can inspire to, uh, to work towards. He retired at 36. He's a personal finance nerd. He's a lover of index funds. On the show today, we've got Jeremy from the Personal Finance Club. How are you doing today, Jeremy? Great. Thanks for having me. That was quite the intro. I think that's like <laughs> almost verbatim off my Instagram profile. You're very welcome. Uh, yeah, I, I did start doing my research on you earlier, but I hope, sorry that wasn't as original, but we'll be able to end it off with something. Uh, oh, no, that's okay. I mean, that's why I put it there. <laughs> At least it sums you up in the perfect way. Uh, and I'm really excited to be able to dive in and ask you some questions about that today. All right. Sure, I'm I'm excited. Great, Jeremy. Now, obviously, I, I came across your your stuff when I started posting and, and creating my own my own content. But let's find out like a little bit more about yourself. Are you originally from San Diego? Nope, I grew up in Michigan, born and raised till I was about 29 years old, save for a few out of state internships in Chicago and Seattle, and then I moved to San Diego when I was 29, and have been here almost 10 years now and I've never really lived full-time elsewhere. I lived in Italy for a couple of months when I was coaching beach volleyball and I've had some like extended trips and stuff, but basically Michigan to San Diego is my story. Oh, that's really cool. So you're uh, quite familiar with snow. Yeah, I've done my time as I say. <laughs> Actually, just today I was uh, ordering a f- new furnace for this new uh, condo I just bought and uh, I said that I hate the cold and he said, Are you, did you grow up here? I was like, no, I grew up in Michigan and I've done my time, so I want a nice furnace. I don't want any 50 degree temperatures in my house anymore. You don't need any pipes freezing or any surprises like that, right? <laughs> yeah, ho- hopefully. So I'm in San Diego, so I don't think it, it's ever any pipe is ever going to freeze. I don't think it's ever 32 here. But, but the problem with San Diego is if it's like 50 degrees outside, oftentimes it's 50 degrees inside too because people don't have like insulation and they don't have furnaces. I've never actually I've never lived in a place 10 years. I've never lived in a place that has he had had heat or air conditioning. You just kind of live in these boxes. And so like in the winter, people are either freezing or they have like a space heater or something. But this new place I'm getting is getting an actual real furnace with a thermostat. It's going to be great. Okay, good. You're really decking that out. I never really would have thought of that, but I guess they don't have to really account for snow and, and freezing temperatures. So they don't. Yeah, you're in Canada, right? I am. Yeah. So, in Ottawa, Canada. Right. So in uh, in San Diego, like our average wintertime temperature is about mid 60s. And so it just you know, it's not really an issue. And even if it's 65 outside, inside, it's usually a little warmer because there's sun beating on the roof and stuff. 
Um, but sometimes it does get to like 50 outside. Then then it's pretty cold inside. Like just we're chilly. fully unprepared. But yeah, there's no furnaces. There's no freezing. There's no ice. There's no, I mean, it doesn't even really rain here. So things get wet and people it's don't know. Pretty awesome. Do. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine there's not many bad things. And if, if the one thing to complain about is the fact that it gets a little bit cold and you got to put on layers, <laughs> it's, uh, it's not a bad situation we'll for sure. Still, now, does, we'll does that make the property... Oh, sorry? I said, we'll still compl- even though that's the only thing to complain about, we still definitely do complain about. <laughs> there's always things. Now, does that actually make the houses in that area cheaper to, to purchase because there's no you know big addition of a furnace in there already? Like, maybe not much cheaper, but... No, I- I think the land value is so incredibly expensive and the cost of living is so high that construction is so, I I mean, I just bought a two bedroom, two bath condo. That's um, about 1250 square feet. It was a dump when I bought it. Like nothing had been remodeled since like the early eighties, like pink bathroom tile, like the dishwasher was like yellow and peeling, like little tiny galley (laughs) kitchen. Um, And I got a steal on it. I think at seven hundred and twelve thousand dollars, and when people when people around me hear I got that deal, like wow, how'd you get such a good deal? So yeah, nothing's cheaper, you know. So maybe it would have cost seven hundred sixteen thousand dollars if it had a good furnace or something. I don't know, but it's just kind of rounding error compared to the the land cost. Makes sense. I, it is. It's more the land than anything. You can kind of put whatever on top of it, but to to get right. that. And so, so you uh, are you involved more heavily in real estate now, or is that something you've been doing since you retired at thirty six? Yeah, so uh, I had sold my company. So yeah, just like the real quick background is I was a computer programmer in college. And then I instead of, I had a, a full-time job offer from Microsoft as I was graduating from the University of Michigan with a computer science degree. I decided to start a company instead of taking that job. It took me about 10 years of growing a company and hustling and building business and building a product and building a team and like you just know, doing it all, learning how to yeah, do all Yeah, entrepreneur. Right. Classic. And then, Yeah. And I had no idea what I was doing, but figured it out. And then I sold my company four years ago for five million bucks. And then that's basically what allowed me to retire early at 36. But in you know, in combination yeah. with best practices of even before I sold my company, I had been building wealth, I had been investing early and often, I'd been buying and holding index funds. So I was I was on pace to become a millionaire even while I was running my company. And that was on a thirty-six thousand dollar per year salary. I'd never paid myself more than thirty-six thousand dollars a year any time during my career. And so even on that, living in Southern California with these crazy high cost of living, I was able to you know, build pretty good wealth. Yeah. And so then I just kind of got fast forward when I sold my company. Nice. So to answer your question, the real estate thing, yeah. So then once I got this money, my buddy who's really into real estate is like, yo, we should start flipping houses. And we started looking at the numbers and it made sense. And so basically I was like bankrolling this and we were like partners in the flips. Yeah. And, and uh, I own about I think I own close to $2 million in real estate now, including this condo I just bought in cash. And then the the other half of my portfolio is in basically an index funds, the other $2 million. Nicely diversified. So now you just bought one recently. Was that your own personal purchase or was that one that was added to the flips that you've done previously? So yeah, my whole life until, well, not even, well, my whole life up until now and today, I still live in an apartment. I live in a one bedroom apartment that was converted from a garage. Um, the same place I lived for the last five years when I was still poor or whatever. But I finally broke down and bought my little two-bedroom condo so I can have a guest room and like a nice house and a furnace. 
it just got too cold here. So yeah, this one, this one's actually for me. But so about of that two million in real estate, about seven hundred thousand now is in my own primary residence, and then the rest is in investment real estate. Most of which is in a single five bedroom house that my buddy and I rent out as an Airbnb. Okay, nice. And and how has that treated you getting in on the Airbnb craze? Uh, it's good. You know, it's kind of the Southern California home prices are so expensive. It's kind of the only way that you can make the math work because, right. you know, home buyers want to spend a lot more money because they want to live towards the beach. And like people who are buying homes down here are rich so they can really push push up the uh, purchase price. But renters don't really have that much more money compared to renters anywhere else. So that like purchase price to rent ratio is very bad in Southern California. Um, and the exception is if you basically do vacation rentals because people are coming with like big groups and they're they're willing to spend several hundred dollars per night. And so if you can get 300 bucks a night, that's like close to 10,000 bucks a month for a place that might only rent for 3,000 bucks. And so basically changes the math pretty dramatically. So yeah, it's worked well for us. It's, we haven't, hasn't even been a year, but we've been making money. We're like cash flow positive and all the good things you want in real estate. That's fantastic. Um, amazing. It's, it's really cool to hear as well because we see you just kind of pumping index funds and just keeping it simple, which is certainly a great play to do. But at the same time, you're getting into the real estate. So we'll be looking forward to, to watching more of that journey. Yeah, I talk most about index funds because I think most of my followers are beginners. And I think index funds are the really best place to start because it's the best way to kind of get your feet wet. Um, and I think real estate's good too. I like both. I obviously, I'm about 50-50 in my portfolio right now. But also real estate's much more complicated. It's basically like starting a business and Instagram doesn't really lend itself to super detailed, complex topics. So I'm trying to keep it very simple. So that's why it's mostly about index funds on my Instagram. It's a good strategy. Oh, yeah. Now, to go back to the business you started, that, that's that's amazing that you managed that. But what was such a good business idea that you thought was worth turning down a job at Microsoft? Uh, I had no idea. I had no idea what I was doing. When I was uh, a punk 22-year-old, I got like, you know, back then my offer was $74,000 a year plus like up to $15,000 a year in profit sharing, which would be, what would that be, $89,000 or something, which at the time was just, you know, th this was about 20 years ago now. I guess... They didn't have a big brand. It's true. Now, at the time, you wouldn't have known. But uh, and so, what was your company that you started? What was that about? Yeah, so I didn't know what I was doing. I just didn't want a real job when I left college, and so I basically started a company, and I didn't know yeah. what it was doing. I didn't really have an idea, and I was this dumb kid that didn't know any better. And it started off as me just trying to like sell websites to people, um, mm -hmm. and like I was like, I'm a computer programmer. People will hire me to do work, and so I like was doing like custom computer programming or custom software. Um, and, you know, it, that didn't really work very well because people wanted a very specific solution to their very specific problem. They didn't want to hire a programmer because no one knows how to do that. And so True. I kind of like through trial and error, I eventually figured out that I needed to provide, provide a product. And so I moved into the rental housing space and I started basically doing websites for landlords. And then I made a product that was in a uh, rental housing advertising service for landlords called Rentlinks, R-E-N-T-L-I-N-X. And the way that worked is if you are a renter and you want to look for an apartment, you could go to Zillow or apartments.com or rentals.com or apartment guide. And there's like 50 of these different websites out there for renters and they all worked pretty decently well and renters bounced back and forth between them. But if you're a landlord, you have this challenge of which ones do I post to? How do I pay them all? How do I keep them all updated? And so I made a site where you could post once to Rentlinks and automatically feed 50 different sites. If you add a photo or change the rent or update the description, all those different sites are updated. All your leads, like the phone calls and emails from renters, come back to you directly and are tracked in your account. Wow. And so it's like a nice little portal for 
you know, blasting your rental advertisements out. Yeah, you kind of get in there as a broker, but then it's like you're, yeah, helping the other end of the the people. That's really cool. Thanks. Fascinating. And and what what is what was what are some key takeaways that that experience really taught you? You know, a, mil- a million little things, and I think the the like two big things I would give as pieces of advice to people starting a business are number one, persistence. If you looked at what I was doing in the first several years, um, it was a mess. I know what I was doing. It was ugly. The brand was terrible. The, the idea was terrible. The execution was terrible, but I just kind of never gave up. And every single day I came in and like tried to make something better and learn something and, and do it a little better. And that's the other half of the coin, which is number two, which is Im- improvement. And so persistence alone won't do it. Cause if you just keep persistently doing the same crappy thing, you'll kind of keep getting the same crappy result. But if every single day you try to make one little thing better and never give up, if you like those two things in combination, I don't know if it's going to happen in a week or if it's going to happen in 20 years, but if you always keep pushing and you keep making things better, there's no place to go except for success at the end of the day. And so it took me, you know, as they say, overnight successes take about 10 years. And so it took me about 10 years and I kept pushing every single day and finally, uh, you know, got a company that was making money and we were hiring people and we we're making about a million bucks a year when uh, we got acquired. Wow. Yeah, that's super impressive. And it, it just goes to show the perspective of really how much time it takes to build something like that. It certainly doesn't happen overnight. It does. It takes, it's a lot of work. And it's the thing is like, I mean, there's never, there's never a guarantee when you're, when you're starting, you just kind of, I like picture as like looking out into a black void. You like don't know what's out there and you hope there's success. And the thing is you can never know, but if you don't try, you'll definitely never get there. And so when you look at the most, you know, fabulously wealthy yeah. people on the plant, they're all started businesses. Um, and that's the only way to do it, but none of them were guaranteed that success, you know? And so if you don't start a business, you definitely won't. And if you do, you only might. And so that's kind of like the risk of being an entrepreneur. Yeah. Well, the more that I just kind of try and keep up my idea that I have, the more I realize how important it is to to not stay idle because the opportunity cost of not acting on any ideas, I think, is is far bigger than, you know, if, if you have that idea, you got to act on it. Taking action is such a big part, too. Yeah. That, that's that's awesome. And so do you remember what your first purchase was when you were uh, a lot younger? My first purchase ever? Yeah, with money. Sorry, I should oh. let me rephrase that with. Uh, yeah, so going back as someone uh, that's kind of a, a personal finance advocate and a coach, what uh, do you remember looking back? What was your first purchase? Like as a small child, you mean? Yeah, I guess. I, or in your memory. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I think maybe when I was like a kid and we were given like the tiniest bit of freedom, like as nine or 10 year olds or something, where I could like ride my bike. To the corner store like half a mile away or something yeah, get some bubble gum or yeah i think i actually got like lemon heads and i think they were sold and like i didn't have very much money and so i think i would get the cheapest candy which was lemon heads and i think they were like 10 cents man like i remember being young and hearing my like parents tell oh like you used to get a st- stick of bubble gum for a penny or whatever <laughs> and like that makes me sound pretty because like i don't think you can buy anything for 10 cents anymore but it was like a really little crappy candy like i think normal candy was probably like 50 cents or a dollar or something but um, yeah, I'd go buy go buy me some lemonheads for ten cents because that's all I could afford. They, they were like they were sour. I didn't really like sour, but after you got past the sour, then they were like were were like sugary. So I guess I just lemon's a good it. flavor too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, nice. And so, what kind of gave you the idea then that as you started this business to invest at the same time? Because looking back, it seems like you had a good vision of money. So who taught you to to think like a financially literate individual? 
so I, I was I had a ton of fortune in my life. I was very privileged. I had like two married parents for most of my life. They eventually got divorced, but uh, um, they both had jobs. We were like at least middle class, maybe upper middle class. Um, I went to I went to a public school, but a good public school. You know, I, I had all sorts of like things going for me. And one of the things I had going for me as a dad who was very financially savvy, especially compared to like the average person. Like now we have like slightly different difference of opinions that I'm like super opinionated about everything. Um, but you know, he for sure understood the value of investing and the value of, of living below your means. And so when I was 14 or 15, I had my very first ever paid job. I worked at a summer camp over the summer. I think I made like 1500 bucks during the summer. And so my dad very wisely opened up a Roth IRA in my name and one of the rules of a Roth IRA is that you can't contribute more than you make per year. So if you make $0 per year, you can't contribute to a Roth IRA. They don't want you to like have fictionally made up money from somewhere to contribute. Right. It has to be like earned income. And so he took $1,500. Okay. Even as a kid, you, you think that they'd want to encourage that in a way, like, you know, investing for your kid while they're young. But Yeah. I mean, but I guess like the Roth IRAs and then there's, I think there's other like investment accounts for like college savings and stuff. But for this one. Oh, it's true. It's a tax shelter, right? right? Yeah. I think. Oh yeah. So you're Canadian. So it's more <laughs> of like, I think it's like a RRSP or something is the Canadian equivalent. Yeah. The, the TFSA, I think is the Roth IRA one. And then the 401k is the RRSP. Oh, okay. Yeah. So yeah, so basically he opened one in my name and then put 1500 bucks of his own money in there because he wanted to like let me have mine to like spend or save or whatever. And so I and then and I think he kind of explained it more as I got older and was like, "Okay, this is an investment and you buy mutual funds in here and you don't touch it for a long time and it grows." And so um you know, maybe it didn't make a ton of sense to me, but then I guess when I like I kind of came online at 21 or 22 and I was like, oh, yeah, it clicked again. I yeah. should be putting money in this thing. And right. And, I, you know, honestly, I think that's something that a lot of people who the average person. I, yeah. yeah I see what you mean, though, they don't have access to that with a good parent who was financially literate themselves. And so the average person sees money as something to spend, not as something to invest. And so I've, yeah. I've had that. Hey, money can make money if you start early. Um, from from a young age, it just goes to show how how much of a difference that makes. That's amazing that you had uh, you know the support there with your parents, um, and that that you know that that guidance that plays such a big factor in who you are today. Yeah, uh, I said uh, very very fortunate, and I I'm doing this partially because I know not every kid has that fortune, and so I want to reach young and middle aged people who don't have that financial experience and kind of give them, you know, what I've spent a lifelong of experience and reading, you know, in a easily digestible way. Yeah. And you have like on your, on your website, it's so clean cut and straight to the point. Um, do you mind going into the, the habits that you mentioned, uh, the, the first three or the, the three bedrock ones? Sure. Um, this website is like terribly designed <laughs> and out of date. I'm like, I'm a computer programmer too. And it's like, so do you coded this? Which language can you, can you write in? A lot. I'm pretty language agnostic. Um, you know, this was just quick and dirty. I built it with WordPress and a lot of the stuff is there's some custom PHP and some custom JavaScript and there's some custom other JavaScript. Okay. Uh, makeshift stuff. Yeah. Um, it's not good though. <laughs> yeah. I, and honestly, I, instead of going to these, I'd actually go... Coming from a computer program, right? I think it looks fine. <laughs> okay, I think I'm like inventing variables. Like I, I think I'm actually going to change. So I'm going to give you instead of giving me giving you these three habits, I'm going to give you the two rules. I boiled down to two rules of Personal Finance Club. There's exactly two things. If you do these two things, you build wealth, you become wealthy. If you don't do these two things, you stay broke. 
Rule number one is live below your means. That means spend less money than you make. So if you make $50,000 a year, spend forty-five dollars or $40,000 a year. Uh, because if you make $50,000 and you spend $50,000, you'll be broke every single time you do the math. And if you make $250,000 and you spend $250,000, you'll be broke every single time. And I know people who do both of those things. And whether you make fifty dollars or $250,000, it's 100% possible to spend every single penny you make. As they say, you can't out-earn bad spending habits. So if every time you get a raise, you just keep ramping up your, you know, your lifestyle, you'll stay broke. And the second... Yeah, and once it's gone, it's gone. Like that's it. Yeah, and it's it's terrible. You know, there's no way to get it back, and and every dollar you spend is really like a dollar thirty you have to make because tax has been taken out of that spending, right? So when you spend that money, it's yeah. like it's it's spending is so damaging because it's because to make it you have to make a dollar thirty, and then you then you only get a dollar to spend. Then when you lose that dollar, that dollar could have been like three, four, five, six, or $10 if you invested it. And so like burning right. that tax after tax dollar is like the worst thing you can do financially. You know, I mean, we all need to spend money to live because that's how the world works. Uh, but if you spend it all, then you've missed this huge opportunity, which is rule number two, invest early and often, which is after you've lived below your means, the difference between what you make and what you spent, that extra part you invest and you have that money grow. And that is how you build build wealth. And so people who do those things, they spend less than they make and they invest a the difference. They become millionaires and multimillionaires. If you don't do those two things, you just stay broke. And it's really that simple. And all the other stuff and like the, the nuances about which investments to make and real estate versus index funds and ETFs and taxes and, and all this stuff, you know, it's just kind of fine tuning. But if you don't do this, if you don't do those two things, you're in trouble. And if you do, you'll be okay right. one way or another. Yeah, it, it, it helps being comfortable just with some of those terms as well and knowing how to adapt with it because like it's constantly changing. But I think once you have that understanding, it just makes it so much easier and you have so much more confidence with your money. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, great, great answer there. It, it's great that you're doing that too. It's it's for the people. You can tell that you're a really humble guy and you just want to kind of share the 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 great experiences of your life. And, and yeah, that's it's awesome. So Jeremy, I've got the big question that I like to ask my guests. Uh, if you can think of if you can think of three big investments, uh, could be choices or even mistakes that you've learned from, either in time, money, or energy that have helped get you to where you are today, uh, what would be three big ones in your life? I suspected you might ask this question, <laughs> so I thought about it ahead of time. So, for time, you know, actually, just today while I was working on this new condo that I paid this insane amount of money for. And there's like a bunch of these dudes, really nice, strong, like talented guys that were working on like the plumbing and the lighting and the putting a beam in and like this, all this stuff. And, you know, kind of done to me, it's weird that like, these guys are like working guys and I'm basically paying them all to be there. And I'm like, I was like, why, like what, who put me in this situation? Like, why was I in this situation? And it basically right. goes back to like 20 years ago when I was in school and I learned computer programming and I made a specific choice to go into a field that was going to be lucrative and I got good grades and I got good internships and I, you know, all the stuff that at the time wasn't paying me, you know, you don't get paid to go to school. You barely get paid to have an internship. You don't get paid to get good grades. Right. Um, and then, you know, then I started the business and I put time in there and I, again, I wasn't getting paid or getting paid almost nothing for a long time. And so for all this you know, investing of my time over and over and over, then fast forward 20 years, it ha it's paid off. And now I'm in this position where these guys who are maybe just maybe they were making the same amount of money the day they got out of school as they were today, because like plumbing when you're 20 and plumbing when you're 40 or whatever pays about the same. And so like that investment of time, school, education to build this 
wealth that I have now has really paid off for me. Yeah, that's brilliant. Was there anything that helped you decide that computer programming would be something that would, you know, help you get to your end goal? I went to school during like the original dot-com boom. And I mean, basically, I, I, I liked engineering because I didn't have to take a foreign language. And I knew I was good at math and science. And I was originally going to go into mechanical engineering. And then I basically, the, the first year freshman course at the University of Michigan, you have to take a class called Engineering 101, which is a programming course. And I, I just crushed this course. I was like really, really, really good at it. Nice. And programming is one of those things like you either get or you don't. And I feel bad for the people who want to do it and don't get it because mm-hmm. your brain is kind of, it's like you can't really study your way out of that. You just kind of have to have that like computer programming thinking brain. Right. Um, and so I realized that I did. And I was like, all right, I'm probably have to do this because it's fun. And it's, it's like, I, I like it and I'm good at it. And it's a good time to be doing it. So that's why I went into it. Okay, cool. Yeah, sorry for the question and the question there. I uh, just found that interesting. It's, it's great how you kind of connect all the dots when you're making your decisions and you, you consider all the options. So um, yeah. that's cool. Now tell me another story. What was number two? So money, time, money, we're on money. Uh, the money, I got to give the shout out to my index funds. If you follow me on Instagram, at Personal Finance Club. Yes, uh, people listen. Yeah, mostly. Uh, you'll see I'm talking about index funds and like I said about half of my portfolio about two million bucks plus or minus is in index funds right now and so an index fund is basically like a very simple low-cost way to buy the entire uh, an entire market and so instead of picking and choosing stocks or paying someone a high fee to choose stocks for you you basically buy an an index fund which buys everything for you and it guarantees you your fair share of market growth um, and if you know you read any of the classic books on investing, anything by Jack Bogle or you know um, a random walk down Wall Street or like in, any of these books, like they're going to Peter Lynch or yeah Ben Graham, older stuff. Right. Yeah. Even even Warren Buffett now says that he's going to put all his money in an index fund when he you know when he passes on or whatever. Because like anyone who oh, really knows great. what yeah. yeah anyone who really knows what they're talking about and and doesn't have an ulterior motive is going to say, yep, index fund is probably the way to maximize your your money. And so, and I personally am a big proponent of the target date index fund, which is basically a basket of three or four or five index funds, like a US index fund, an international index fund, and a bond index fund. And these things are automatically rebalanced and reallocated over time. And so if you're a person who wants to invest and doesn't know how, go find yourself a target date index fund. Just keep plowing money in early and often, and you will be a wealthy person in your old age. And those are already diversified and set up for you? Yep. That sounds awesome. Yeah, so like they pick the asset allocation. So if you, they're all based on a year. So you take your birth year and you add 65. So if you're born in 1990, you add 65 and you get 2055. And so there's a 2055 target date index fund, which is basically going to be for your age, the right balance of U.S. international and bonds. Wow. And then they're all automatically rebalanced and reallocated for you. And so it's basically an all-in-one. And I've never really heard an, a co- coherent, logical argument why you shouldn't put 100% of your money in a targeted index fund. Any any other strategy is basically gambler's advice, like, oh, no, like there's a hot sector or this, this new ETF or this one stock. And that might beat an index fund for sure, and it might not. But over time, it almost certainly won't because the tried and true method of diversifying and maximizing your different asset classes is how you're going to win. It's already taken care of for you. Yeah, that's yeah. great. Um, and do you mind sharing what broker you use for your own personal investments? I have a, a Fidelity account and a Vanguard account. Most of my money is with Fidelity just because it's a better website, in my opinion. I've been using it for a long time. I'm a big fan of Vanguard. I think they're altruistic. If anyone ever recommends Vanguard, I give them total props because that's like the 
the founder of the index fund and they're, they're the ogs yeah, yeah the original gangsters i do sure. think their technology kind of sucks personally like i don't think that their website's all that great all that stuff but I, I have some money in there too just mostly like educational for me so i can like speak about how to use it schwab is like the third biggest one in the u.s and there's you know better, i've got no issue with like the most of the robo advisors like betterman i think those are fine they, they charge a little bit of a higher fee but just like a target to index fund it's all in one so there's, you know, there's lots of good options and they basically all qualify for rule number two, invest early and often, right? So if you're, if you're putting yeah, yeah. $1,000 a month in the second best brokerage or $100 a month in the best brokerage, you're going to be way better off with $1,000 a month, right? Like th- that's the big difference is putting more money and not like get, picking the exact right brokerage. No, your, your original lump sum could be $500, $100, but as long as you keep putting it in, that's where the money gets added up. Definitely. Like, yeah, the, the, putting more money in is how is how you get rich for sure. Not all the little nuanced issues on investing. No, it's so true. It's like less is more. The, the more people we can get to understand that, the better. You guys are very fortunate in the US. You just recently got, um, or all of the brokers recently cut the commissions for, for most of your investing fees. So in Canada, I remember calling my bank and asking them if, if they were going to, to do that and remove the fees, but unfortunately we're not. So you guys get the benefits of no cost, like average down or dollar cost average over time. Yeah, so I know I get a lot of questions from people either in Canada or overseas, and, and I don't, you know, I don't know a lot of the time because I like live here and we don't have, you know, right. just like yeah. you guys don't have access to our brokerages, like I don't have access to yours, and so um, we definitely have kind of like the best investment opportunities in the world with like unlimited index fund choices and ultra low fees and. And I, I think that competition will eventually go elsewhere. I, I feel like a lot of the technology and and downward pressure on prices often starts in the U.S. and then you know spreads to other countries as it becomes more competitive. But yeah, I, we've got it good here. Yeah, I hope we get it eventually. But at least at least the U.S. has kind of started the trend. So then we have someone that we can can follow along. And and you're right. No, it, it's quite nice to see the the financial technology companies popping up um offering robo advisors there there's even a couple in canada or there are a few that offer free financial planning along with like uh, a monthly management fee that's f- significantly cheaper over the like nice. long period of time so uh yeah a lot of different ideas so i'll let you finish what's number three <laughs> So energy, energy and time seem pretty similar to me, but I, I went with the more literal interpretation of energy. And I used to be a runner and I ran through middle school, high school and college. And I ended up getting a, a partial scholarship to the University of Michigan. And I broke a school record at the University of Michigan, which I still Amazing. hold in the 600 meter dash. I ran the 400, 800 for you track fans out there. I ran 46, eight and 149 for the 400, 800. Pretty fast, pretty good for college. And, you know, that, you know, just like anything was an investment in my energy, right? Like I wasn't, you know, if you just got me off the couch one day as a random kid, I would get last in a race like anything. But, you know, I suddenly found that like I was okay at running and I showed up the first day of cross country practice and ended up in last place. And I was like, okay, well, I'm going to just keep going and going and going. You show up every day. And like between a combination of like persistence That's and That's the word, yeah, persistence. <laughs> Yeah. And you, you know, if you just start running more and running faster every single day for months and years on end, you're going to be really good at running, you know, like, you know, maybe you won't be college like me, or maybe you'll be Olympian. I don't know. At at some point, like there's a, you know, natural born ability that, that, you know, plays a 
role, but I think like a lot of the kids on my team simply were there because they were like, you know, workhorses. Like they weren't, they didn't have the God-given talent and they probably would never be Olympians, but there's good enough to get to a division one college, which is pretty impressive. And just because they put the investment of their energy in, right? And that's cool. You could be a college athlete and the, and those that don't, right? Like it's, it's kind of no surprise that the guys that run college are the guys that run the most, right? Like because they put the investment of energy in. So that was my energy answer. You've got to put that work in. That's great. You see those infographs these days as well saying how Usain Bolt's invested all this time for that, you know, that 10 second sprint, but you, you've essentially done the exact same thing. Like yeah. growing up, you put in the running training and then uh, you, you kept that same persistence in your investing. It took me more than uh, 10 seconds though. Yeah. Well, 49, you said 42 seconds. For no, 400? I think the world record is, is 42. I ran 46, eight, which is 46, eight, about right. five seconds off the world record. But those are five very important seconds. Uh, Still pretty incredible speed. A, <laughs> so. you know, they're like taking their shoes off by the time I like still cross the finish line. Yeah. And do you still run today? Just uh, long distance for exercise or? Sometimes I switched to beach volleyball uh, and that's why I moved to San Diego to play more competitively. I'm a solid beach volleyball player, but not, you know, super good. Um, and my knees are kind of beat up. And so I have, uh, you know, years of, of running and beach volleyball have left me to kind of make choices about how I'm going <laughs> to spend my knees these days. Yeah. Farrell, I guess you can try and enjoy it as long as you can while they, they're still working for you. That's right. Nice. And how tall are you? I'm six foot four, about 200 pounds these days. So yeah, I was, I was a big dude for a runner. Yeah. Oh, well, you're tall. But, you got uh, the length. Yeah. Do you guys use uh, feet and inches for a uh, height in Canada? We, we actually use centimeters. Oh, do you? Okay. I think I'm yeah. like 194, 195 or something. That sounds about right. Yeah. I'm trying to picture just under two meters. Yeah. The, the funny thing is, is though, is, is although we do f officially on our licenses and our identification, we measure in centimeters, we do pretty much keep track of inches too. So I've, I remember being four foot nine up until grade 11 or 12. I was tiny always growing up. Yeah, I was really small. Really? And uh, so right now I'm five four. Yeah, I never was gifted with a lot of the height, but I definitely had a bit of, oh, had a lot nice. of quickness in, in different ways, climbing and. Uh, but that's like seven big inches you got like later in life there. So if you're like a 17 year old at four nine, it, it was looking pretty like, you know, five yeah, four. Yeah, no, you're right. Hold on. If I look back, sorry, it would have been five, four, no, four, nine in grade, yeah, grade nine. So sorry, I was okay. four, nine until grade nine. And then I grew to be five, four in grade 12. But I remember my brother was quite short as well. And I, I, I was really confident that I would grow to be taller than him. And I would rub it in his face. Like, you just wait two years, I'm going to be five, nine. I'm going to get that growth spurt. <laughs> and it never came. Oh, no, is he still taller? He's still taller, yeah. He won oh. a $100 bet a long time ago. <laughs> Shoot, you, 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 you've conceded already. You might still have a couple more inches in you. you know? I might, maybe, you know, maybe with this this newfound energy and, and, and passion of mine, it, it might give me a little bit more. But that's funny, actually. The other day I saw an old friend of mine, and I, I swear she'd gotten shorter. She's like, no, you probably got taller. <laughs> there, there you go. Maybe it's time to remeasure. Go go find your brother. Yeah, yeah seriously. Get him to push his shoulders down. But uh, no, that that's cool. I find running is a very, very great form of exercise. Just kind of getting the stress out and, and letting those endorphins kind of come through. It's really nice. Yeah, I agree. All right, Tara, I got a few more. Now, can you share some of your early experiences using credit cards? I remember looking through your bio and you mentioned how you actually first used uh, credit cards to fund your company. Do you mind sharing a little bit about that and how you would recommend people use credit cards going forward? 
Sure. Yeah. When I was starting my company, I did not make enough money to live. I think my first year of revenue was about $14,000 and that doesn't even count the expenses. And so after expenses, you know, which weren't much because I was just like a kid on a computer or whatever, but you know, you still have to pay, you know, whatever your bills and yeah. whatever random stuff you're buying. Yeah. So like I maybe took home eight or $10,000 that year, which wasn't enough to even pay rent and buy food. And so I basically just lived on a credit card and not saying that's a good idea. I'm not recommending it, but you know, there's only so many ways you can fund a business and credit card is not the worst one, I guess. No, it's, 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 it's actually true. I mean, if you have some sort of way to make the return back, it's, it's not the worst, which is kind of fu a funny irony, I think, but yeah, sorry, go on. Yeah. I mean, I definitely like, you know, shudder to like recommend it because I think that a lot of people hear, oh, this successful guy started a business on credit cards. Therefore I should go rack up a zillion dollars in credit card debt. I mean, I did it extraordinarily carefully and I did it all with the knowledge that I could stop at any time, close the business down and go get a job and pay it off in, in like less than a year. So I- Right, yeah. that, and that's really, sorry, that's important to say though, cause like you had that thought at least in the yeah, back of your mind. So I that's... did, I mean, you know, I, I, I was definitely trying to work hard and be persistent, but I also wasn't being reckless. Um, and I did basically have that plan B, which was to get a job. And I knew I was employable because like Microsoft had given me a job. And so I racked up $10,000 in credit card debt the first year just to live. Um, and then the second year, I made a little bit more money for my business. And I, my credit card debt went from ten to 12000 Then during the third year, basically the business was making enough money where I cut myself a check for $12,000 and then paid off my credit card debt in one payment, which was nice. And so I basically got out of it. And other than that, I've never had credit card debt. Um, I still use a credit card. I paid off in full every month. I don't chase credit card points. I think there's a big, there's like this, these big communities of like people like deal chasers and point chasers. And I think that those overwhelmingly are counterproductive because they basically like glorify and incentivize spending. And people are like, oh, if you're going to spend the money anyway, why don't you get the points? I was like, yeah, that's true. But you know, when mm -hmm. you look at actual studies and look at actual behavior, would you have spent that much money if the points weren't in the back of your mind? Would you have spent that much money if you're paying with cash instead of with a credit card? And the answer is almost certainly overwhelmingly no. And so people are spending like 10, 20, 30, 40% more money right. in order to get 2% cash back. That is not a good deal. You know, the better deal is just to spend less. So I, I, use, a, I use a credit card, but I, I use it I, and I do get the points, but I don't like do any games. I don't try to chase points. I don't have a bunch of different cards I use. I just try to spend as little as I can. I take the points because why not? And then um, I pay it off in full every month. Yeah, so that's, what, that's how I use credit cards. Good, yeah, and that's how people should. I, I do. I give this presentation to high schools, and I I like to bring up the point that um, in 2016, credit card companies made six sixty three point four billion dollars in yep. interest alone. Yep. And it just baffles me. Like they're projecting that they'll make a hundred billion in 2020. Like that's strictly off yeah. people that don't know how to use their product properly right they just buy into the advertising it's crazy yeah and then you hear people like oh yeah i'm gonna get a free flight i'm gonna get this i'm gonna get these points i was like it's like you're not beating the credit card companies trust me like they've worked that into their costs like they you know and and you know yeah, and, and maybe like like oh well all the all the all the dumb people are paying interest while i'm like getting all these points i was like I still don't think you're beating the credit card companies i think i think they're on to your i think you're on to your little scheme about you know bouncing on between different car, credit cards or whatever <laughs> Um, so yeah, I'm very, very, uh, careful about that type of credit card use. Fair. Yeah. Well, I mean, Hey, if you've got the cash then you don't need it so much. So another good one for you, I think you'll like this. What came first, Jeremy or the fire movement? Now, did you start being frugal and planning this before that? Or is that something that came after? 
I honestly like only kind of like became aware of the fire movement very recently. I think oh, did you? probably I... after I retired in quotes, like I, you know, I don't really love using the word retired, even though it's on my Instagram bio, mostly just to catch people's attention. But, um, you know, I, I still work plenty and I'm, um, actually going to start another company next year. And so I still oh, have like amazing. plenty of work and career in front of me, but yeah, I love the fire movement. The more I learn about, the more I'm into it. And I, I, I like that they've given a name to it and this like old, you know, people are, a lot of people are asking me like, what's the correct amount of money to invest? And I'm always like, that's so weird. Like the correct amount is like as much as you can, because like, what's the goal here? The goal is freedom. The goal is to like, not have to work. Not that you have to quit. Not that like, you're going to sit on your couch and watch Netflix all day, but like, what's the, you know, like when they say the correct amount, like, are you worried about investing too much and having too much money later or being able to shave five years off your career or something like, is that the fear? Um, So I love the fire movement. I, I, like I was frugal and investing the whole thing before I was aware of it. But even for myself, I like that's kind of put a box around my own, way of thinking about this and my and you know how to like you know the safe withdrawal rate and how much money you need to be able to quit safely and all this stuff so i, I don't know who came first but we found ourselves like a couple of years ago or found each other a couple of years ago that that's a great way to put it i think i became aware of it earlier this year early 2019 uh from some some blog posts so it's obviously been around for a while and as a concept it just I think some people either just get it earlier on and, and that's kind of how they model their lives and others don't. Now, what does your definition of retirement mean? Yeah, like I said, that that buzzword I don't love because retirement kind of evokes ideas of like sitting on a rocking chair with a quilt over your legs and just like whittling away the time. Um, I... Well, it's crazy. If you think back, the word retire was like when a farm animal was no longer able, or I think it was a cow was no longer able to give milk, it would be retired and sent out to the yard and killed. <laughs> yeah. Facts, right? So I hope there. that's not what it means for me. Is that what I'm No, doing? no, it certainly won't be. But no, it, it's great that, you know, you say that you don't like to use that word. And I understand that because society has given it such a powerful definition. So yeah, can you just elaborate what that means for you as someone with now freedom and options? Yeah, I mean, that's what it does mean. It means freedom. So like, I prefer the term like financially free or financially independent. And so basically means like you don't have to do what your boss says anymore, if you don't want, or you can quit if you want, or you can choose how you spend your time, or you can choose to start a company, you can choose to like, take time off to be with your Mm -hmm. kids, um, or whatever the case may be. And so I mean, as as a story, like I have a friend who's not retired, but she um, was working as a nurse and then her sister was going to have a wedding and the boss came to her and said, hey, you have to work this weekend. And she's like, I, or I can't work. I, my sister has a wedding and the boss is like, too bad. You have to be here. And then she's like, okay, well, I won't. So let, let me know if I have a job. Either way is fine. And like being able to like not miss your sister's wedding is like financial freedom, right? And missing your sister's wedding because you are a slave to your job is like, you know, financial inservitude or whatever. Um, and so that's, you know, like, like I said, it's not about retirement to me. And so for me, I get to do what I want now. Like I spend my days helping people learn to invest, not, you know, it just happens to be the topic we're talking about, but it's also a thing I love doing. And I also do photography and I coach high school beach volleyball for free. And I, I do a lot of other volunteering and like three other jobs I forgot. And I'm going to start another company next year, which is going to hopefully like help change the world in a positive way. And so. I love hearing that. Yeah. Sorry. Don't mind if I ask a few questions. Yeah. So that's financial freedom to me. And so, yeah, whether it's not, it's not technically retirement because I'm not rocking on the, my front porch with a quilt over my legs, but, but I do get to direct my time as I see fit now, which is nice. That's great. Well, clearly you're a wise and smart man. And so it's great to hear your definition because everyone's going to got to make their own. Thanks. 
Yeah. Do you mind sharing a little bit about what uh, what that business plan is for next year? Or is that still a secret? So I have a partner. Normally, I'm very transparent, and I have a partner who I haven't like cleared about like putting this on any like sort of press yet, and so and we don't even have like the name and everything figured out. But um, yeah, so I, I guess I can't say anything about. No worries, no worries. That's okay. But when's it expected to to launch? Twenty twenty. Barely have talked about yet. So I, I, I have a, I have a friend who's a very successful entrepreneur also, and we basically decided to start a business. And he, he said, "When can you start?" I said, "I want to like finish up some stuff first. So in January, I'm getting a job starting company TBD, what the product is and all that. But uh, nice. I'll let you know. But hopefully, we'll have some sort of MVP like in late 2020. Hopefully." Yeah, either way, well, that's exciting because one chapter closes, another one opens. You get to start something new now with you know the the inspire to change. So it's good. Yeah, we'll see. I hope it's good, or it could be a massive failure, and then I, you know, won't get on podcasts anymore because people don't want to talk to a loser. Yeah, we'll see. I'm, I'm sure you, you've definitely gotten used to to failing and, and <laughs> keep going. That that's not going to deter, deter you at this point. Yeah, that's great. Um, and so on that note, then you said you like doing photography and, and traveling. Where are some of the p- favorite places that you've been to? Yeah, like I said, I coached beach volleyball in Italy for a couple months. Then on that trip, I went to Croatia, which is one of the most beautiful countries I've been to. In Slovenia, there's a place called Ljubljana, which is a bunch of L's and U's and J's in it, which was cool. <laughs> I went to Australia for five weeks, which is beautiful. I've done a lot of South America and uh, Colombia and Peru and Chile and Bolivia. I've done some Central America. That's actually really? next on my list. So I've got Where? Well, I'm going to Mexico over the break for about 12 days just uh, to go to Tulum and then visit a friend in Mexico City. Nice. But I traveled quite a bit in my past, and the only continent I haven't covered besides Antarctica is South America. And so I, I'd like to do some sort of a, a Colombia, Peru, uh, Chile, Argentina, Brazil, like a nice big U trip. Down the line, I mean, it's obviously it's ambitious, and now that I have this kind of entrepreneurial side of me that that's coming out. I don't know exactly how well those two would go together, but it's still an idea. So if ever that that trip does come, I definitely know I can ask you for some advice. Yeah, that's a pretty I mean, those are, those are some pretty big countries you mentioned. So I could you could probably spend a, you know two to three weeks in each of them. Least, um, but yeah. yeah, I recommend they're beautiful. It's like it's an amazing continent, you know, as much of it yeah. as, that, that I've seen at least. Great. Uh, and what do you like to take photography of or what kind of pictures? I don't know. I like just, it's like an adventure. You can go hiking and try to catch like the sunset or catch moon or stars. And so I, I do a lot of like uh, landscapes. I have some kind of like hyper realistic stuff with, with moons, like really big moons over, over landscapes um, and some like star trails that have like, you can point your camera towards the North star for several hours. And then you get these like big dramatic, colorful circles as like the stars uh, circle over you in the sky. Um, yeah, it's like pretty cool. Just like this, this kind of like marriage of yeah. technology and nature, and you get to like kind of see see it through a different lens, pun intended, I guess. But yeah, <laughs> that's the, that's the kind of stuff that that's I like good. doing the most. I think. Nice, that's good. It's important to to find those. Have you ever seen the Northern Lights? No. When I was a kid, I lived in Northern Michigan, and I like my parents said it was happening sometime. They didn't wake me up or something. But I've I've never seen them actually. I'd love to. Have you? You're in Canada. You're you're closer. I have not. I know. I know. I, I should have, but they they're pretty far up north, so they're they're typically more visible in the western part of the country. So above, probably like where Michigan would be, and then all the way out west. That's where you can see them more. But you've got to go up up high and a couple hours north. I remember I was in Jasper once when they were said to be out, uh, but there were clouds, of course, in the way, so we couldn't see them. But Aww. it is on the bucket list. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Me too. But man, it's cold up there, so I guess you gotta figure out how to stay warm when you're watching them. 
Yeah, I'm sure there there are ways, but it, it seems like there are times of the year that are best to go. So just have to nail those in. But now, hey, at least you've got the the financial freedom that you can do that really when it would fit into your schedule. That's right. I got to remind you of that. So don't let any things on your bucket list go unchecked. That's true. That's part of the challenge, I guess. That's it. Um, well, before we end off, then do any um, so any advice that you can give to people that are interested in in maybe starting in real estate investing. Yeah, real estate's tough and it's not my specific area of expertise, but I'd say you would want to just start learning and, and reading books and also find people who do it and ask them questions and ask if you can you know go along with them and see what they're doing. There's like this Japanese phrase that Toyota executive use, use that it, it basically translates to go to the place and see the thing. And it sounds silly, but these ex- these executives would be trying, you know, are often sitting in their, in their executive suites looking at Excel sheets, trying to figure out how to improve profits. But these Toyota executives are like, go to the, the manufacturing line and like stand in these little boxes and just like watch for an hour or a day or a week or whatever. And then they're like, okay, this is going bad because this one guy is working constantly and these other three guys are waiting for him to finish. So if we have two guys on that job, suddenly, all you know, they, they see things they wouldn't have seen otherwise in a spreadsheet. And so, with real estate, I would encourage you to go to the place and see the thing. And that might be find someone in your um, area or a friend who owns a few rental properties and ask them, you know, ask to look at their books or go like see what the leases look like or ask if you can go on a remodel trip or, you know, how they analyze a property and, you know, and just have them walk through it. And, People like if people if you ask people's opinion, yeah. they love talking about themselves. That's why I'm doing this podcast so I can talk about myself. Um, and so when you ask for someone's advice, like almost always they'll be thrilled <laughs> to help you right. and share how they've found success. And you know, I'd ask a few different people so you don't get an overly biased source of just one person. Um, but I think that's the best way to get involved in real estate because it's hard to just you can't really go to a website and click a button in the way you can. The next one you kind of got to like learn the business. Yeah, no, that's so true. Great point. And if you get that good advice, take it. <laughs> Don't let it go. Yeah. No, that's awesome, Jeremy. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show and joining me today. It's been nice to actually get to catch up and get to know you. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate you inviting me, Jordan. I'm a fan of the show and I, I checked out your ebook and I like your, uh, your other podcast and your Instagram. So keep up the good work and we're going to, together, we're going to help uh, solve all the world's personal finance problems, right? Yes, we are. All right, good. Thanks so much, man. Yeah, it's great. Before we head off, Jeremy, is there anything you can say to the guests uh, for advice? Hey, I, I always tell, I always end saying my the two rules of personal finance club. Number, rule number one, live below your means. And number two, invest early and often. That's what I recommend to do. That's it. That is actually the best advice you can really get. Thanks so much. Yeah, my pleasure. And I'm a dummy and I totally forgot to ask Jeremy to let everyone know where they can find him. So you can find Jeremy's content at Personal Finance Club on Instagram or you can go to his website at personalfinanceclub.com. And big ups to Jeremy for letting me know about an app called Zencaster, which is the reason why we both sound so good in this podcast. Basically, he solved the issue of the crappy connection I had before, putting the phone on speaker and connecting in front of the mic. So thank you, Jeremy, for being awesome and just passing that, passing that information on to me so that I could make this better for all the listeners out there. So thank you, Jeremy. You can find this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Radio Public, and at anchor.fm slash highly invested. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. If you found this valuable and you got some good information out of it, Please go subscribe to Highly Invested, leave a rating or a review. 
It would be really helpful to help with the organic reach, and it would be great to know who's listening as well. But please pass this on to anyone else that you think might get some value out of it. I just want to help everyone achieve success in their own best personal way. So thanks so much for listening, everybody. This is your host, Jordan Hiley, signing off. Stay highly invested in yourselves. Till next time.